This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, Fiji's former Prime Minister and opposition leader, Frank Bainimarama, has been suspended for sedition and told to apologise. We'll find out what that means for the country. And a new Australian visa processing centre is set to open up in Papua New Guinea. Ministers uh, recognise that high quality, timely visa services uh, were uh, an important underpinning of our bilateral ties. And over in Sydney, World Pride 2023 has officially kicked off. We hear how the queer Pacifica community is celebrating. It's it's our time and I'm seeing so many POC activations this Pride that makes me half flutter. All that and more today on this show. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. So glad to have your company. Though Fiji's former Prime Minister and leader of the opposition, Frank Bainimarama, has been suspended from Parliament for three years. He was removed from office in a marathon Parliament session on Friday night, just two months after he lost his Prime Ministership in the general election. Evan Wasuka takes a look at how it all unfolded. For more than a decade, Frank Bainimarama held sway over the country. The leader of the Fiji First Party had his power base firmly rooted in Parliament. But on Friday it was Parliament and the majority of MPs there who voted to suspend him. Mr. Bainimarama's transgression was a speech he delivered five days earlier, criticizing the president of Fiji. But because the president has failed to protect the constitution, the rule of law, and failed to halt the resultant chaos, Mr. Speaker, the president of the Republic of Fiji, as head of state, in whom rests the executive authority of the state and who is the commander-in-chief of the Republic of Fiji military forces, failed to acknowledge the fact that the very constitution which is supposed to uphold is being stripped away almost on a daily basis. As the commander-in-chief, he has failed to provide proper guidance to the RFMF. Parliament's Privileges Committee found Mr. Bainimarama's words breached Section 62 of its standing order. Women's Minister and Member of the Privileges Committee, Linda Tabuya, moved a motion to suspend Mr. Bainimarama on Friday night. It came after the committee deliberated on the matter for three days. The Privileges Committee has recommended actions to be taken and we request the members to consider the recommendations as put forward and I commend the motion to the House. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. As expected, it drew heated debate on the floor of Parliament. This is Deputy Prime Minister Professor Biman Prasad. So, Mr. Speaker, such cowardly behaviour in weaponizing one's immunity-laden privilege words, inciting others to do his bidding, Mr. Speaker, is not acceptable. Prime Minister Sitiveni Rambuka urged forgiveness for Mr. Bainimarama, saying he too had been in the same situation after he led the military coup in 1987. I'm probably a lone voice on this side of the house, but I can afford to say that because I have been forgiven many times. The highest or the most serious offense that can be committed in a country is treason, and I was forgiven. Following the Prime Minister's call for leniency, the Privileges Committee amended the motion, lightening the disciplinary action. This is Linda Tambuya again. I move that the amendment be made to the motion as follows. 
Honorable Chesaya, one, that Honorable Chesaya Mbani Marama be suspended for 18 months, effective immediately, to be served till 17th August 2024. Two, that the Honorable Chesaya Mbani Marama issue a written apology to His Excellency the President within 14 days from today. But for Mr. Baini Marama supporters, those concessions didn't go far enough. This is MP John Usumate. You only apologize if you know that you've done something wrong. And as I've pointed out here, <laughs> Mr. Speaker, sir, that is why I was talking about what I talk, talk about. You require him to apologize. You cannot apologize if there was no call for sedition taking place. If that did not take place, then how can there be an apology? So Mr. Speaker, sir, that's why I'm talking the way that I am talking. In the end, the amendment was revoked and MPs voted on a motion to suspend Mr. Baini Marama for three years. Speaker of Parliament Ratu Nangama Lalambalavu announced the result with little fanfare. Honourable members, the motion is carried. With 27 ayes, 24 noes, and four have not voted. Mr. Baini Marama's suspension leaves the country without an opposition leader, and the Fiji First Party will now have to decide if they'll put in a replacement. His exit from politics, although temporary, weakens the Fiji First Party even further, and it leaves the country without the single highest polling politician from December's national election. And that was Evan Wasuka reporting. You're listening to Pacific Beat here on your Monday morning. And as we heard earlier in the show, Fiji's former Prime Minister and leader of the opposition party, Frank Abainimarama, has been suspended from Parliament for three years. Joining us now to dig deeper into these, uh, these strange times in Fiji politics is Dr. Mosmi Bim from the Fiji National University. Uh, Bula, Dr. Bim. Bula, how are you? I'm good, I'm good, thank you. Uh, now, it's been called a new era in Fiji politics. Bani Marama, of course, has been the front and centre of, of Fiji politics for more than a decade, 16 years, in fact. W- what do you think his suspension means for the people of Fiji, for the country? I think what this suspension uh, means is that uh, um, people are now able to realise that uh, the Fiji First Party uh leaders cannot say anything and get away r- with it. Um, they uh, they also need to face uh, consequences for what they say, especially if those comments are denigrating, if those comments are humiliating, and if those comments are regarded as insightful. Mm. And is that quite a change from the way it used to be, particularly when Mr. Bainimarama was in power, was in government? Um, Was there a a mentality that Fiji first politicians could get away with anything? Well, yes. If you look at the former Prime Minister Bainimarama and the former Attorney General, they have said things in Parliament during their uh, term as the uh, heads of uh, the the previous government, and uh, voices were raised against what they had said, and that action should be taken, but no action was taken against them. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the opposition MPs 
several of them have been suspended from Parliament on uh, different occasions for 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 saying minor things. Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting that it seems, um, I mean, you, you could call it karma or, or something like that, where, um, you know, what um, Bainim Rama perhaps did with his opposition while he was in government is now coming back to him. Um, considering that, did this suspension come as a surprise or was there still some suspicion that this won't be laid against him? Oh, well, I think it is not a surprised from uh, the kind of things he said. What we can say or what I would like to observe is that I think the current government has been very brave to suspend him. And But if they had not taken this brave decision and suspended him, there is a chance that these kind of attacks would have continued in parliament, not just by Bainimarama, but by other Fiji First MPs as well. So, uh, because as you're aware, the current president and the current uh, commander of the RFMF were both appointed by the previous, during the term of the Fiji First uh, government in power, which Mm. is why when such provocative comments are uttered by the former prime minister, by Nimarama, it, it fills people with fear. What if the president does react to what he has said? What if the army commander does react to what Bainimarama has said and use that as an excuse to carry out another coup? And that fear remains in the hearts and minds of the people of Fiji, which is why this suspension has been so important and the fact that the president and the commander of the RFMF are taking the cue, sticking by the rule of law and not interfering with the parliamentary process is so important. I, I know there has been some concerns over security there in Fiji, Dr. Bim, as a, in light of um, Mr. Bainimarama's suspension. Um, is there still some concern about that? I mean, you mentioned it being a brave action the government took and 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 also fears that the military might um, align with Bainimarama. Um, are those fears laid to rest now? Well, we are just having a very normal Monday morning at the moment with the people uh, dropping their kids to school, people going to work. And as far as we can feel at the moment, the RMFM, the the RFMF, they know their their role. It's not to interfere with the politics, and we hope it will uh, stay that way. But as as far as I know, since the new government has been sworn in, the um, what we have been observing is that uh, at different occasions, the commander of the RFMF has assured the public that they will to the rule of law. Mm, yes, which is um, a good sign that stability is prevailing there in Fiji. Um, now, Dr. Bim, there is this three-year suspension now against um, Mr. Bainimarama on, in light of these sedition charges um, against him and, and what he said against the president. Now, the charge was, as you mentioned, that he denigrated and humiliated the head of state. Now, it sounds like you you said it was a brave move for the government to um, move forward with these sedition charges leading to his suspension. 
But is there an argument to be made that these laws themselves limit freedom of speech in parliament from politicians? I mean, it's a unique law that is there in Fiji. Can can is that argument um, hold? Does that hold water? Do you believe, Dr. Bim? Well, the way I see it, if you look at the past coups that have occurred in Fiji, the coup in 1987 and the coup in the year 2000, they were actually based on insightful speech. Insightful speech that were uttered by ethnic nationalist leaders um, trying to incite hatred against the Indians in Fiji. And that was the basis uh, that was uh, used to incite uh, um, people to support the coup makers and 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 to actually justify the coup that had happened. So there has to be limits on free speech, and and um, the Fiji first government has has been trying to put limits on free speech saying that uh, it could be used again to incite a coup on the basis of ethnicity, you know, against uh, the Indians in Fiji. But the reality is that the Fiji First also is using speech, not against a particular ethnic group, but they are still using insightful, insightful words, which could actually be used to try and incite the military to take action against the government, which is equally serious. Mm, Yes, that context there is important to understand why this action might have been taken. Um, Now, as we've been talking about, um, Dr. Bim, this means that Bainimarama won't be in politics for at least three years. What does that mean since he is now the opposition leader, you know, the head of the Fiji First Party, no no longer has that head operational in parliament? Do you believe Fiji First is a viable opposition party now? Um, Yes, I do believe that Fiji First is a viable opposition party. The members of parliament have been elected and they've been elected for a four-year term. They are lots of very intelligent, hardworking uh, and experienced people in the opposition. Even if Baini Marama is not in parliament, there are a lot of capable people in the Fiji First Party who can still do quite a good job as opposition members of parliament. Mm, interesting. So we might see, I guess, some new figures um, may perhaps lead Fiji First in opposition, do you believe, Dr. Bim? Yes, I, I do believe so. And if Baini Marama does feel that not being in parliament for three years can be harmful for Fiji First, I guess uh, he could take the option to resign from parliament. On the other hand, he could wait for three years. Because if you remember, the current uh, speaker of parliament, uh, Honorable Lalabalabu, was also suspended from parliament for two years. And he actually served his full suspension and then he returned to parliament. And in the case of Mr. Bani Marama, there's a chance that I understand the Prime Minister Rambuka has come out and said that his suspension might be, you know, maybe shortened if he does come out and apologize. Um, he has been asked to apologize, in fact, ordered to apologize as part of this suspension notice publicly and to the president within two days of that notice. That two days has since passed. I believe it passed yesterday. 
Can we expect, do you believe, an apology from the former Prime Minister? Well, as you said, the first apology, the time frame for it, 48 hours has passed. Uh, but I do believe that he has uh, 14 days to uh, to issue a written apology to Parliament itself. And I do believe he has a lot of time to think about if he wants to issue the apology and probably his suspension may be reduced to one and a half years. But as we are aware that uh, Vaini Marama in the past has been known to have a lot of uh, pride. Mm. So I so I do believe he'll have to really weigh his options. Does he really want to keep that pride or does he want to acknowledge that he did make a mistake and issue an apology and have his suspension reduced to 18 months only? Yes, a very interesting uh, situation Mr. Bainimarama might find himself in there. Um, if you are just tuning in to Pacific Beat, we're speaking to Dr. Mosmi Bim from the Fiji National University. We're talking about the suspension of Mr. Bainimarama, leader of the opposition and, and also former prime minister, ruling the country for, for 16 years. Um, we're looking at, at what, what that means for Fiji and, and Fiji politics. Now, speaking of that suspension, uh, you know, this is an interesting, um, you know, fact here. Mr. Bainarama was the single highest polling politician. He's now out of politics, as we've been talking about, for for three years, perhaps a bit shorter than that, depending on if he apologizes or not. What do you make of that? Is is this, I mean, I imagine there's a lot of people who did vote for Mr. Bainarama quite upset with this outcome. Uh, has there been any, any reaction from them? Um, well, we would know about the reactions. As far as we know, the Fiji first members of parliament have said the suspension is unfair. And Bainimarama actually received the highest number of votes in the 2022 general elections. So, yes, he does have quite a lot of support and he did win the highest number of votes. Um, but one would have expected that uh, having received such a high number of votes would make him um, um, think before he speaks, you know. And as he has been the prime minister uh, for 16 years, that's a very long time to be prime minister. And um, and uh, it, it, it's really sad that he... he he did not try um, to actually understand what were the implications of what he has been saying. Because he has said that the 2006 coup would be the last coup in Fiji. So if he said that in the past, that the 2006 coup was the last coup in Fiji, and uh, he did not intend to carry out another coup, then it is a bit said that uh, he has been um, saying such provocative statements, which can be uh, perceived as trying to incite the military to take action. Uh, and Dr. Bim, I know it's difficult to get into Mr. Bainim Rama's head and, and um, try and understand why that was made. Do you think it was just a spur-of-the-moment decision to say those words to incite this against the um, president? Or, or do you think there's perhaps something else, something, some other strategy at play here? Well, from what we have read in the newspapers, it appears that Bainimarama was reading from a speech that was written for him. 
So whoever wrote that speech for him wrote that speech uh, in his capacity as the leader of the Fiji First Party and the opposition leader to say those words in parliament. So it was not of the moment. It was part of his response to the president's speech, his address that was made in response to the president's speech, which is why it makes it all the more serious, the comments that he made. Yes, indeed. All the more serious and all the more unexpected that that was um, that such such words were pre-planned. Um, now we understand it is three years that the suspension has been handed down. Might be shortened depending if this apology is made. What do you think is next for Mr. Baini Marama? Do you think he'll be back as uh, leader of the opposition? Well, yes. I mean, his term as a politician has not ended. I mean, he's still holds a very senior post in the Fiji First Party, and he's been suspended from Parliament, but he's still a member of Parliament, albeit not able to perform the role of a parliamentarian due to his suspension. And in his capacity, uh, and keeping in mind that he achieved the highest number of votes, he can still issue statements as um as the leader of the Fiji First Party, there is no stopping him to issue political statements from outside parliament, as has been done by other heads of political parties. If you look at the former Prime Minister Mahendra Choudhury, if you look at uh, the, uh, if you look at Mr. Savenada Narumbe, they are not in parliament, but as heads of their political parties, they continue to issue statements on important national issues. Yes. Well, very interesting. I guess that means that is, this isn't the last time we hear of Mr. Bainimarama, but we'll see if his words have, have as much sway now that he's outside of Parliament. Uh, Dr. Bim, thank you so much for your time this morning on Pacific Beat. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Mosby Bim from the Fiji National University speaking to us about that suspension of Mr. Bainimarama. Tune in to SBS Samoa News on ABC Radio Australia. SBS Samoa News features independent news and stories connecting you to life in Australia and Samoan-speaking Australians by our friends at SBS Australia. SBS Samoa News. Tune in Mondays and Thursdays at 6.05am Samoan time for one hour of news in the Samoan language on ABC Radio Australia. Now it's time to find out what's been making news. Well, over the weekend and today on 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 your Monday um, around the Pacific region, and to do that, we're joined by reporter Kyle Evans. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Priyanka. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. After um, a nice weekend here in Melbourne, nice and sunny, so yes, feeling refreshed for the week. But let's start off with, I guess, a bit of an old story, um, not a not a fresh story, but one that has been, you know, getting growing, mounting concerns around it. And that's around seabed mining. It's particularly relevant for the Pacific because that's where a lot of these testing around seabed mining is happening. Now, fresh concerns have been voiced over possible plans to mine the Pacific's seabeds. What are those concerns? Yeah, well, it's interesting. So, uh 
Experts actually say the prospect of large-scale mining to extract minerals minerals from the Pacific uh, is actually growing uh, more real and imminent by the day. So uh, that's according to the Deep Sea Conservation Coalition, who are basically an umbrella organisation for a number of uh, environmental groups. And they actually worry that the International Seabed Authority's two primary missions actually contradict each other. So basically their two missions, one is to protect the Pacific sea floors and the other is uh, organising the activities of industries eager to mining the ocean floor once that code is adopted. And uh, basically, they worry that because of that, uh, they've taken a, a pro-extraction uh, stance on the matter, which which they refute. Mm, very interesting. So obviously, the ISA, other other body that sort of oversees mining, seabed mining in particular, um, they're the ones who, who gave the preliminary um, green light uh, to, um, well, one particular company, I believe it's called Minerals Institute, if I'm not wrong, Minerals Company, something like that, mm-hmm. someone will have to correct me, um, to actually begin doing this te- these tests in, in um, around the Pacific. Um, so... Very interesting. Um, in fact, do we know the status of seabed mining at the moment? Do you know it, Carl? It's been up in the air for a while. So, uh, so that code that I mentioned, that code's been negotiated for about a decade now. It's uh, yeah, it's been a sort of very long, long process that one. Um, however, at present, present there are thirty enterprises which have been approved to explore but not exploit uh, any minerals from seabed floors. Um, but that could change uh, if this new mining code is adopted. Um, we know Nauru in particular is, is pretty keen. To to see uh, this whole prospect prospect explored, um, they, they, they'd love to see that code adopted, so they can you know potentially start dishing out contracts within the, within the next couple of years. Mm, very interesting. And Cook Islands has also, um, as we've reported here on Pacific Beat, um, been open to the idea of um, deep sea mining. Um, yes, but there has been some, I guess, there's been some mixed feelings, to say the least, uh, in other Pacific countries. Um, yeah, very interesting to see this here. It's it's interesting that you mentioned those, I guess, contradicting contradicting mm. um, uh, goals that the ISA has, the International Seabed Authority, being one to protect the the seas, the Pacific, and and also to you know open up avenues to exploit it. I imagine a lot of Pacific leaders also have that same, you know, balancing act as well. They want to protect the oceans, but also want to perhaps see um, see money come into the country. And perhaps this is one way. Well, it's the argument is uh, I, um, old as time in a lot of ways, isn't it? The uh, prospect of money and econ- economic opportunity, but outweighing the, I guess, the impact of, uh, of it's going to have on the environment. So, yeah. yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Indeed. Well, and now let's head to Fiji. Fiji has sent an emergency crew to New Zealand to assist with cleanup efforts following Cyclone Gabrielle. That's very interesting. Um, do we know who they've sent, why they've sent them? Yeah, so 10 personnel from their Defence Force uh, have gone over, uh, as well as four firefighters and, uh, and four National Disaster Management officials they're preparing to leave as well. And they'll assist crews from uh, from Australia and New Zealand uh, who have basically been sent in to address the impact uh, now that the worst is over. And that impact is uh, it's becoming clearer, clearer by the day. Um, 11 confirmed dead, as we know. Uh, more could still likely be confirmed once they continue you're looking through um, sort of all the damage. 30 homes currently have no power and, uh, and fresh water is very much in short supply and a lot of supply chains are, are cut off. Well, 30,000 30, homes, did you say? Without power, that's yeah. right. So no electricity, probably no hot water. 
Yes, that's um, very concerning, but nice to see, I guess, a bit of the um, Pacific Rurale, the Pacific family coming together to support each other during these times of crisis. Yeah, I was having a look at some of the satellite images uh, today, just at, you know, the damage and things like that, and just seeing the, how the waters just snake through some of those communities. It's quite uh. surreal. It really is. Yeah, that that is very worrying, and yeah, it just go makes you think about the the cleanup effort. Oh, it must gonna, be yeah, yeah, massive, massive. Um, yeah, our, our best wishes to those who are who are fighting through this, and perhaps in evacuation centres around the country. But all the best. Um, now let's head some well, not some nice news, but some sports news at least. PNG's Women's World Cup hopes have come to an end. What has happened? Yeah, look, I guess no surprises in some way. They were very much the underdogs going into this match, but they have lost to Panama uh, 2-0 uh, over the weekend in their World Cup Group Group C qualifying tournament. Uh, essentially, they, they were going, had a big big ask ahead of them. They had to win two games in order to qualify for the World Cup, the first of which uh, was going to come against Panama. They had to win that to advance uh, to that World Cup qualifying final, which would have been against Paraguay. Um, they'll never play that match, unfortunately, <laughs> given they didn't get past uh, the first hurdle. But um, no, look, they, they played well. They were competitive. Um, Panama was a pretty good side, 57 mm. in the world, obviously out of Central America where it's, you know, soccer's law over there. Um, dominated possession early in the match. Uh, actually kicked a spectacular bicycle kick goal oh, really? uh, in the opening 10 minutes, which really sort of seized control of the match for them. Um, PNG, they did have a couple of shots on goal uh, by way of Ramon, Ramona Patio and Calista Maneo. Uh, both those shots missed, unfortunately, and, uh, and Panama were able to secure the winner in the 63rd minute of the second half. Oh, well, well, I guess with all these things, it's still a big... Um I mean, they've they've done so well so far. So hopefully, mm. they can see this as as one step on the road to to great great things um, ahead. So, yes, hopefully they're not too sad, and hopefully this isn't the end of PNG's uh, women's side. Oh, you're right. You got you got to see it as progress. You know, it's exactly. uh, at the end of the day they were you know uh, within two games of making a World Cup, and yeah, they'll, they'll they'll be back there again. I've got no doubt. Yeah, exciting stuff. Um, Kyle, thank you for that those stories. Thank you, Priyanka. That was Kyle Evans bringing us latest, and I did stuff up the name of that seabed. Uh, company. It was the metals company that has, um, well, it's believed, I, I assume, started their testing in the Pacific already. Um, what do you think about all of this? I mean, we're seeing all these international headlines around deep sea mining sort of really ramping up lately because it affects the Pacific. So what do you think, as people who live in the Pacific think about it? If you if you do want to hear more, so just, just head to our ABC Pacific website. You can find some older stories we did about deep sea mining there um, back in September, November that time. You can find some stories that we did and, and love to hear your thoughts. You can reach us at ABC Pacific. You are listening to Pacific Beat this Monday morning. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. Australia has agreed to establish in-country visa processing in Papua New Guinea following a ministerial forum in Canberra. It comes just days after Australia announced a new visa allowing up to 3,000 people from the Pacific to migrate here each year. A high-level delegation of ministers from Papua New Guinea met with Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong to discuss this visa processing and also the bilateral security treaty being developed between the two countries. Here's Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong herself speaking at a press conference after the talks. Uh, first, in relation to the security treaty, uh, the two prime ministers, when they met, charged Minister Tichenko and, and I with finalising a bilateral security treaty 
uh, we're pleased that they're we're at a, a we have exchanged uh, draft text. We are in the process of of working through that, and we're going to be doing a lot more work in the coming weeks. Uh, so we're pleased that that is being progressed, and we see this, as I said, as a natural progression on our security partnership. The second thing I want to indicate is uh, uh, last night and today we had a very frank and open discussion on visa-related issues, uh, and ministers uh, recognised that high-quality, timely visa services uh, were uh, an important underpinning of our bilateral ties. So we have agreed uh, to open in-country visa processing in Papua New Guinea. Uh, I know that this is something that uh, the Prime Minister's discussed, and there's something particularly that the Deputy Prime Minister, uh, Deputy Prime Minister Rosso, is very keen to progress with uh, Minister Miles, uh, and we're pleased to announce that. We are also establishing a joint high-level ministerial working group to oversee these changes and to continue work on visa-related issues. Uh, Richard Miles described this as the cut-through committee. Uh, and it will involve uh, Ministers Miles, Wong and Conroy from our side uh, and Deputy Prime Minister Rosso, Minister Chichenko from the Papua New Guinean side and we will co-opt ministers such as Minister Giles as necessary. Yeah, that was Foreign Minister, well, Australia's Foreign Minister Penny Wong there. And following her words, PND's Deputy Prime Minister John Rosso took to the podium. The talks have been uh, fruitful, uh, very positive, and continues to enhance our partnership and ensuring both countries are strengthened and work closely together, uh, furthering our ideals and our partnership moving forward. One of the biggest uh, things that we have had is the visa issues that have been uh, uh, niggling in the back of our heads. And I'd like to say thank you for the visa approvals and processes moving forward. So having uh, 75% of our visas being approved and within the space of 14 days is a huge step forward. And I would also like to say that uh, we're very glad to have the high level uh, uh, profile ministerial working group that will be able to chase up and sort out a lot more niggling issues on the visa processes. That was Papua New Guinea's Deputy Prime Minister John Rosso speaking there. You're listening to Pacific Beat. Now to a good news story about Australia's sea turtles that coastal communities can take heart from. A record number of endangered loggerhead turtle nests have been laid on a popular Sunshine Coast beach after a simple budget-friendly change changes were made to modify lights. As Jennifer Nichols reports, those lights were repelling nesting turtles and luring hatchlings to their deaths. It was a tough situation for an endangered species. Light pollution had increased from street lights, high-rise buildings and the headlights of parked cars at Bedina's Point Cartwright lookout. Turtles prefer to nest on dark beaches. As Sunshine Coast Regional Council Conservation Officer Kate Hofmeister explains, bright white light is bad news for their hatchlings, luring some of them to their deaths. 
Now, when we have an environment that's very light polluted, it becomes very difficult for these hatchlings to find the ocean. And every year we have situations where hatchlings are ending up in the parklands behind our beaches. They're getting predated by all sorts of different animals that really don't normally predate hatchlings. So animals like ibis picking up hatchlings. Bright white lights rich in blue and green wavelengths scatter in the atmosphere and are the biggest cause of light pollution. To restore the dark beach that sea turtles prefer, Council installed motion-activated street lighting, light shields, timers, switched out the white lights for amber and red bulbs and put up signs in the lookout car park asking drivers to switch off their headlights. And while the turtle breeding cycles do vary over the years, Ms Hofmeister believes that the lighting has made a big difference. I do think that we have seen a visual change in the light pollution levels that are coming from the Bedina and Point Cartwright areas. And at Bedina this year, walking the beach, as compared to several years ago, you can see a noticeable difference. And that relates partially to some of the council infrastructure that we've changed out. It relates partially to the amazing body corporates along the Point Cartwright headland that have done huge works to their buildings to reduce the light that is coming from those buildings. But it also relates to the everyday mum and dads, grandmas and grandpas that are living through Bedina, that are turning off their outside lights at eight o'clock you know, really prioritise how they're behaving with light in their own property because they know that it affects the survivorship of our hatchlings. Ms Hofmeister coordinates the Turtle Care Program, working with a committed team of trained volunteers who walk the beaches to find and protect nests and hatchlings. They've been excited to see the turtles respond to having a darker beach. A record 36 endangered loggerhead turtle clutches have been recorded on Bedina Beach so far this nesting season. Two of those were laid last night. So I do think it's made a big difference. You know, certainly we're collecting scientific data that is supporting that hypothesis at this point. And we will continue to do that until we have, you know, enough information to draw those really solid conclusions that we're seeing a big difference and that it's helping the turtles. Ms Hofmeister says that human safety isn't compromised by turtle-friendly red and amber motion-activated street lighting. If a person walks through that area, the light will turn on when they're within about 100 metres of the luminaire or the light and then it switches off in a designated period shortly afterwards. The changes also save ratepayers money in lighting bills. No need for a compromise in trying to protect the environment, protect your yourself and uh, also put some money back in your wallet. Astronomist and university lecturer Dr Ken Wishaw is a passionate member of the Australasian Dark Sky Alliance committed to trying to reduce light pollution. He convinced the body corporate in his 11-storey high-rise Maroochydore complex to switch to environmentally friendly lighting. It cost $16,000 over 12 months to swap out and modify the building's external and basement lights, resulting in a 90% decrease in light pollution and impressive power bill savings. We saw $1,100 a month saving in electricity, which paid off the entire project in about 14 months. Dr Wishaw says choosing lights with an orange glow is also better for the circadian rhythm of humans, biological variations or patterns with a cycle of approximately 24 hours that impacts sleep and people's health. And this is one of these lovely kind of environmental projects where everything wins. The wildlife wins, we win, and the wallet wins. An increasing number of co- 
coastal Queensland communities are taking action. In the Mackay region, Reef Catchments has funded a collaborative project to help businesses, including a beachside caravan park and a hotel, convert to marine turtle-friendly lighting. Rachel Taylor is the Conservation and Communities Project Officer for Reef Catchments. So the plan is to upgrade the current lights just near the beaches, so just to reduce that, any lights hitting the beach. Mackay and District Turtle Watch is a key partner in the project and its education officer, Faye Griffin, says the work is critical for hatchlings emerging from their nests. We can't afford to lose any hatchlings, simple as that. It seems like a lot of hatchlings coming off the beach each season. When the experts tell us that it's only one in a thousand reaching maturity, you know, like some seasons I might have 1,800 hatchlings come off this beach. I mean, that's, that's not two whole hatchlings that are going to make it to maturity. That was Faye Griffin from Mackay and District Turtle Watch ending Jennifer Nichols' story with additional reporting from Ashley Bagshaw. And if you'd like to learn how to reduce your light pollution, maybe ones that are affecting the turtles that come to your beach, check out their article on the ABC Rural website. You're listening to Pacific Beat. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan. World Pride 2023 has officially kicked off in Sydney with half a million people descending on the city for the world's biggest LGBTQI plus festival. Among them, them is Pacific Islander Rocky Stallone, the producer of Over Over, a queer Pacifica event celebrating brown excellence at the festival. Yeah, being a Sydney resident now for the past 12 years, I've been a part of Mardi Gras for about eight years, was working with Mardi Gras as well. And I feel with this year being World Pride and the shift in energy is actually amazing. I've, I can already see the diversity and having representation of POC and our mob brothers and sisters is very evident and it's needed. It's, it's our time and I'm seeing so many POC activations this Pride that makes my heart flutter. I think it's it's been a long time coming and to see it in its glory today is so beautiful. Now you're producing a All Pacifica cast event that is happening at World Pride uh, these, in these coming days. Um, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, so Over Over is written and creative directed by JC Tanovasa, who is a beautiful film queen from New Zealand, Auckland. I brought her over to initially creative direct the show because I really wanted to, in Australia, we haven't really done anything where we've mixed queer culture, Pacific culture in a modern artistic way. And her experience in New Zealand, having been from the performing arts sector, being a leader in the Vogue performance ballroom scene in New Zealand as well, being the mother of the House of Oman, all that experience in and her show that she's putting together for Over Over is just a beautiful contemporary fusion show highlighting all different elements of our culture, the Pacifica culture, and those living in Western countries from the Oceania. And it's an expression through song, Pacific dance, vogue, fashion, drag, poetry, production. It's its own, yeah, I just, it's exciting. That's all I can say. All I know is that you have to be there to experience it. And can you explain to me what the term over over means? Yeah, so over over it has two interpretations. So it has the someone meaning which means like oh over, you know, like it's giving um 
um, over in the Samoan meaning can mean extra, extra, um, like it's so extra, or or um, referring in, I guess an example would be like um, when somebody's serving a beautiful look and somebody's got that essence and, you know, you can just be like, over, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's that slang. And then in, in, um, in ballroom, it means category clothes or they are worth the grand prize. So it's like a worthiness kind of thing so it's a it's it's a slang of um in ways you could use it as too hot to handle or you know game over <laughs> how significant is that and what does it mean to have such great specific uh rainbow representation um especially at world pride at sydney this year it means a lot it means like growing up in Australia, being Pacifica and queer, where a lot of the time conform to either be rugby players or be sports players, or when we finish school, certain jobs and and that kind of thing, and it's 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 kind of like a trauma that's forever just going round and round. But um, I feel like providing these opportunities for our future generations to show them that we it's okay to channel that inner performer and if if you feel that artistic side that's okay as well i think being pacifica you you go to uh, you you grow up in the church and you perform in the church and it can sometimes build uh, animosity or trauma around that as well and i think showing um, putting on a showcase where it's not just traditional most most uh most uh Pacific Island show uh, uh, culture shows are very traditional or very um, mm, yeah, just very traditional. Where I feel like with over over, it's it's uh, its own art. It's hard to explain how we how it's um, going to change the game. All I know is that the energy that the audience will feel will be on another level, and also because our cast is is femme queen led and femme queen is a term that we in ballroom use for our trans women so the main cast of our show is led by by femme queens it's it's based around our femme queens and i think that's that in itself is going to be an epic storyline that was rocky stallone speaking there to reporter jordan fennell And that brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. Thanks for joining me again this Monday morning. Reminder of our top story, we covered Mr. Bainimarama's suspension from Fiji's parliament. Uh, The former PM and leader of the opposition will not be there for three years in parliament. If you want to catch up on any of our stories, head to our ABC Pacific website. I'm Priyanka Srinivasan and hope you have a lovely day.